Welcome to the Feel Better Make It podcast. Real life, real women, no shame. We take it from drop it like it's hot to I can't get off the toilet. In this podcast, we tackle questions about real issues women have to face with their body, life, love, and their career. Every week, Dr. Letitia and Dr. Jennifer, both physical therapists and business owners, will share from their life experiences and expertise on their journey to feeling better naked. Join us as we ask the questions you've never asked and have fun while doing it. Hey, y'all. Welcome to another episode of the Feel Better Naked podcast. Today, we are going to be interviewing Dr. Joanne Michelle Martin, and we're so happy to have her here. I'm going to take some time to introduce her, and then we'll um, start going on some questions here. So Dr. Joanne Michelle Martin is a licensed physical therapist and coach, the owner of JMM Health Solutions, which is a concierge pelvic health practice in Atlanta metro area, where she brings over 14 years of clinical experience as a physical therapist. She has worked with thousands of patients in her career with a focus on providing holistic and comprehensive pelvic health care. Dr. Martin has shared her expertise in many domains, including industry events, university guest lectures, national and international talks, workshops, and webinars. She has also been featured in publications including Atlanta Magazine and Healthline, as well as health and fitness podcasts including BirthFit, Practice Brave, the Women's Health Podcast, Evidence-Based Birth, and more. Dr. Martin is a birth and postpartum doula, trainer, and childbirth educator, which lend themselves to her overall work. She also serves as a mentor to other professionals, both clinically and in business. She is the creator of the Zero to Telehealth Coaching Program, a co-founder of the Black Female Foundation, and co-founder of the Pelvic PT Doulas, providing education to clinicians, birth professionals, and birthing individuals. When not working clinically, she enjoys being a mom to three, including an 11-week-old, travel and the outdoors, and coaching club and travel volleyball. Thank you so much, Dr. Joanne, for being here. We are definitely honoring you as a Black woman leader in um, all things health and pelvic health in particular. Um, how are things going? How are you doing? I am good. <laughs> Lacking sleep, but good. <laughs> Oh, yes. Thanks for doing this. Only 11 weeks postpartum. Um, Dr. Letitia, how are things going for you? Uh, going well. You know, we're going to into beginning of Black History Month. Um, so I always want to figure out ways how we can elevate people of color and be able to bring some more accomplishments to the forefront. Definitely when you see about our profession as physical therapists, you definitely do not you know, it took me several years into my career to meet another black female physical therapist. Outside of my graduating class, there were three of us in the class. Um, and then into my career, I'm practicing in Indiana, had not met another black woman, female, not even a black male physical therapist during that time. So anytime that we can elevate and be able to push others to the forefront, and especially in an area when it's talking about women's health, and I'm all for it. So thank you, lady, for uh, joining us on today. Yes, I am here for it. All right. You ready for some questions? Ma'am. Okay. So the first thing I just wanted to start off with is just, you know, introducing yourself. I mean, I did 
introduce you professionally there, but um, really want to know just a little bit about your life story. Sure. So I'm Dr. J. Michelle Martin. I go by Dr. J um, or J for my friends. And um, I have been a therapist since graduating from New York Institute of Technology in 20, wait, how long ago was that? 2007. <laughs> so it's been 14 years. This year will be 15. Um, I grew up in Barbados. That's where I was born and raised. Beautiful island. Miss it terribly. Um, especially in the winter, I just want to be at a, you know, near a beach somewhere. Um, and growing up, it was, I, I think I'm thankful for, for my upbringing because there was a lot of hustle. There was a lot of, you know, while, you know, I, I joked with a friend recently, you know, where everybody, you know, promotes black history here. I grew up with black leaders. I grew up with, you know, black professionals. So it wasn't so much that you couldn't do what you set out to do. It was just a matter of achieving it coming from such a small, a small Island. Cause now you're competing not only with the other people there, but then you're competing with people around the world as well. Um, you know, I competed in sports. So that, that helped, um, that competitive edge. And then I came to the U S as a volleyball, um, scholarship recipient, played um volleyball here i also played back home on the junior national and the women's national team um and retired the year before i graduated pt school because at that point in time i had to make a choice like you play or are you gonna actually be a grown-up and like go actually do some real work and it was it was a tough time but <laughs> but i was like okay i guess i gotta be an adult now it's not what they said it was gonna be but okay <laughs> um but I got into this field, I got into PT because I, you know, haven't been injured as an athlete in college and looking at just going through the process. I used to want to be an orthopedic surgeon and I had a horrible encounter with one. It was awful. Um, and the recovery, the rehab journey was really what cemented for me, my desire to go into PT. I recognized that I wanted to be there with people along the journey. I wanted to be able to guide them, hold their hand if they needed it, you know, support them in any way that I could to help them get to their, their, um, end goals. Um, and so that was when that desire to go into PT school really hit home because before that I was kind of undecided and it's been a beautiful journey ever since. So. Okay. Well, that's awesome. As far as your, your physical therapy journey, I had gotten similar being a athlete, collegiate athlete, basketball track, all of that same thing, seeing that process and seeing like, Ooh, I wish I would have known the things back then that I know now, like there were some bad PTs <laughs> and trainers <laughs> as far as doing things during that time. But as you kind of made that journey into being a physical therapist. What made you that journey into really becoming an entrepreneur and kind of branching out and doing your own thing? Partly, I realized I'm not a good employee. I don't like people telling me what to do. <laughs> I, think I, was, I think I was in denial for a lot of my life, you know, and, and I, you know, I play by the rules and I can, I can, I can play by the rules pretty well. I just, I just can't play by the rules all you know, my lifelong. And so I realized I wasn't cut out for that. But the, the thing that that kind of really made the difference for me was being a mom mm -hmm. and some experiences that I had when I was an employee, seeing how other moms, what they had to deal with, you know, their kid got sick and people are questioning them. I would never forget one time my office manager, I was a clinic director for an outpatient ortho practice. 
And my clinic direct, my, my office manager, her daughter was sick. You know, I mean, like we literally started where it probably couldn't have been more than eight thirty nine o'clock in the morning. She got a call, come get your kid. She's sick. She's like, but I just dropped her off. And so she goes to the school, daughter was throwing up and stuff like that. And, you know, she had to take her to the doctor, whatnot. Uh, Finally got an appointment that afternoon, daughter's an ear infection. So she takes her home, got to be out for the next day. Didn't have, you know, family that was available to be home with her the next day. I'm like, you know, stay home if you need it. This was me at that point in time without any kids. And I would never forget, we were a multi-office practice and the HR manager calls the office with what seemed to be a horrible attitude. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. it was like, well, when she returns, you know, she needs to, she needs to bring a letter. I said, because she's going to lie and say that her child was sick so she can stay home with a child that's puking, get off my phone. And so she was like, well, you, you know, you can't, I was like, I'm hanging up now by, and I hung up the phone. (laughs) <laughs> so I know that, you know, she really, I, I always knew that she really did not take too well to me, but I just thought it was really ridiculous that you would want, I mean, what, what more does she have to do? It's not like she woke up that morning and say, yes, I want to be with a sick child. You know what I mean? And, and I've seen it in other, you know, other offices where coworkers went through the same thing. Their kid is sick and they're, you know, they've got somebody else, usually a male employee breathing down their necks or, you know, saying something or making some comment. And I was like, yeah, no. And so I knew by the time I had my kids, like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that. And when, you know, ties were severed with my, that job, you know, I found out I was pregnant. I was like, yeah, no, we're operating on our own. We're operating on our own time. Um, you know, I was pregnant with my daughter and I was like, that's it. I can't, I can't work for folks. Mm -mm. Yeah. Yeah. So motherhood got you there. Mm-hmm. Motherhood really put the stamp on it. And you know how you say, you know, I'm, I'm somebody's mom now. I'm going to get better. No, nah, I just got worse. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there's something to be said for aging. Cause my grandmother always used to say, the older you get, the more you realize things about yourself, the more you come to appreciate those things. I'm appreciating those things. Yes. Yes. We appreciate it too, because of all that you're doing for, for making that choice. Um, and, you know, I have the pleasure of knowing Dr. Martin really well, and she's always been really generous as I am an entrepreneur and we, um, were able to be in a mentorship group together and just so willing, um, to, to be there to support me. I really appreciate you. Um, so really the process of becoming an entrepreneur, I really want to focus on that. You're doing so many other things as well. Um, but how has the process been for you? And I would say, particularly as a, a woman of color, a black woman, how has that process been becoming an entrepreneur? Has there been barriers? Um, and uh, yeah, just share a little bit about how you went about the process. Um, you know, it, for me at first, it was going into, okay, I want to, I want to do something on my own. I want to set my own hours. It was trying to negotiate being a contract therapist, um, trying to be able to, you know, work my own hours, curate my own schedule, things of that sort. But then from there it was, you know what, I need to, I really need to branch out on my own. And there were a lot of, 
I wouldn't say negative comments. And the only reason I hesitate to say negative comments is because I've realized along the years since I've been doing this is that a lot of the people who have something negative to say are usually putting their own fears on you um, because they themselves don't know. They've never done it. They don't know. So they think it can't be done. Um, and that's what I got a lot of. It was a lot of you're going to do that. People are going to come see you. I'm like, they're seeing me now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, people are going to pay cash. Like people pay, you know how much dog clothes cost? Like I've seen dogs with full fur. They do not need clothes. And people go buy clothes from, why wouldn't they pay for something they need? You know, I'm confused. Um, And so it was really a lot of that um, in terms of barriers, in terms of really having to have the faith in me that I could do it as opposed to kind of looking for it externally because, you know, in a lot of instances, it wasn't there. in terms of, you know, just being able to perform, um, like I haven't really had barriers, community barriers per se. Um, you know, it, I, I think because I've really tried to, when I started this, I was just, it wasn't going to doctor's offices and, you know, like, I'm going to see this doctor and get acquainted with this doctor. It was I'm going to go meet some other people. So I started getting connected with people in birth, in the birth world, I started getting connected with people doing other things who are sometimes non-clinical. And that was super helpful because then when the referral started coming in from the doctor's offices, it was, oh, I heard from such and such that you're the person. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, and so that was really helpful to me. Um, you know, there there have been some what I've seen in, in some spheres clickish, you know, in communities. But I, I try to navigate those with as much grace as I can. <laughs> Yes, you are definitely a um, connector to, you know, a lot of people around here. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. So when it comes down to, I know there's a lot of things when I was trying to start like my practice or just even leading up to that, where doing some home health, going and trying to have more freedom of schedule, trying to move the needle on getting some better pay. Because as we know, everybody, a lot of people go into PT school and be like, oh, I'm going to be you know, the sports therapist or all the orthopedic, the traditional orthopedic setting, that's where none of the money is <laughs> in, in traditional PT clinics. It's the meals. In PT school, man. Like, you know, I'm like, I want to be a clinic director. I was so excited. And I realized that as a clinic director, I was like, why the heck do people in the hospital making more than me? And, and yeah. they got regular hours. <laughs> like, yeah. why am I here till seven o'clock? Yeah. Yeah. You're the clinical director barely bumps you up. You reach that ceiling. Once you get four and five years in and you can be clinical director in that, there's like, where do you go from there? And you still got the, got to see the people early in the morning, the 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. people, and then the late nights. Same kind of particular thing when I had my son, like, guess what? I can't do 7 p.m. or being here for 7 to 7. I was a single parent at that time. And I'm like, I got to go get my son. I got to go do this. And I'm not, I'm doing more paperwork and more work, but my pay is not looking congruent with my education and what I can do. And I'm not being fulfilled in that position. So then it's home health, more flexible hours, rate goes up. Then you start kind of transitioning and thinking, okay, I need to make some other moves. So I know I had challenges for me were sometimes being in those settings in which they thought you were the aide or the nurse or come get me a cup of coffee and things. And I'm like, I'm the person that's supervising that person. I had that a lot in the hospital setting. And I worked in the hospital when I first started transitioning um, out of outpatient, when I had my daughter, 
um, I was PRN in the hospital and it was great because PRN, you make your own schedule. You know, I, I could stay home. I stayed home with my daughter exclusively for six months when she was born, which was a huge blessing. And I got a lot of that working in the hospital. Are you the help? <laughs> I remember one time somebody asked me that and I said, excuse me one second. I walked out of the room and a nurse saw me outside and she goes, what happened? I said, I'm trying to not say the things that I want to say. <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Give me some time. And I just stood out there for a few minutes because I was like, if I go in here, I'm about to, <laughs> they lucky they old, you know? <laughs> I, had to, I had to really collect myself. And yeah. it was a lot of that. I mean, I, I tried to start programs and I recognize even in the hospital because I was like, okay, you, you can do pretty well in the hospital setting, right? And there's a lot more room for upward mobility than in outpatient orthopedics, but the bureaucracy, God, bureaucracy. And I was like, I can't do this. Um, it was so funny because I worked at a hospital and after I, I was trying to start some women's health and, and um, NICU programs there. And, you know, it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. And it was so funny because after I started my business, then they decided that it was a good idea to do this. And I got a call like, well, you know, you're the first person that we thought to go to my, like, you like three years too late, man. <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that. It's things like that, that if you're a person of color, especially when, especially in a field as narrowish as physical therapy can be, there's a lot of different barriers that were that we're seeing and that you're like, well, if that was another person that you wouldn't even thought to ask them, ask them that question. Or why are you questioning the knowledge that you have to go get a doctor? Well, you get a, you want, you have to get a doc, you have a doctorate or you have this. So I think those all kind of helps you with as far as molding that process of, I need to be doing my own thing, take more control of the situation. And there's so many more people that can be reached <laughs> when yeah. When you do do that, instead of mm -hmm. just thinking about that narrow, you know, narrow mindedness of things. So yep. what do you think as far as your process, still going through the process, building business, things like that? What are some kind of some things you learned about yourself? Kind of some top things. Uh, let's see. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I learned I'm a little I'm a little more resilient than I used to think I was because I, I mean, it was. Especially, I think, you know, going back, like you mentioned it, that initial transition into business when you were doing the PRN or I was doing some of the contract work and it was just frustrating. Um, and, and you know, just having people go, oh, you're going to do that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I, you know what? Um, it, it's funny because my yesterday was my grandma's birthday. She would have been 94. She passed um, three years ago. And she, she used to tell me all the time, sometimes you, when you got your ideas, baby, you going to learn, have to learn to move in silence. You going you gonna have to learn to just show up when it's time to show up after everything has been said and done. And I was like, well, no, you know, it's kind of selfish. I can't want to do that. And that, and I'm like, you, that woman was brilliant. <laughs> like, like, right. So I think now it's just like, I, that's just, that's just been my mentality now. Just do stuff and then, you know, people see it because it's trying to sometimes have a collaborative mindset if, if other people are not like-minded and, and it's really, it's helped me to hone in on who my people are. It's helped me to hone in on, on the, the, the people that I want to be around the, the relationships that I need to nurture. And I think if the biggest takeaway I've gotten from being an entrepreneur is really 
all to do with the relationships that I, I've kept and been able to foster over the years because I've learned so much with regards to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember when we first met you, uh, we, you met me somewhere in, we went in to Atlanta. Market. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know all the names. I'm out here in the boonies, South of Atlanta. Um, but just so willing. And I think one of the things that's most memorable about you is just that you're just, you're empathetic. You genuinely care. And, um, yeah, so I really have enjoyed that part of, of getting to know you and, and enjoy, enjoy your friendship. We're kind of going to move in a different direction here, which does relate to all the work that you're doing. Um, you really want to highlight that doula training part here in a second, um, because some people aren't familiar with what that is, but, if there's anything, there's a lot, I'm sure, but if there is anything you could change in healthcare in the United States, what would that be? Cut out the insurance companies. <laughs> ding, ding. <laughs> I feel like it's the simplest, it's the simplest thing yet. It's the thing that nobody wants to do. Everybody's afraid to do, but when you've got people making millions, billions of dollars really on the backs of people that can't even get the services that that are claimed that they will get, they're paying for those things. They can't even get them yet. You know, the CEO of United Healthcare, Aetna, Blue Cross, you know, whatever, will take home millions, billions of dollars annually. There's a problem there. Yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> that that's huge. Yeah, there's a significant problem, especially you're like. I know you're we're, we graduated in PT school in the, the same year. So we know initially we came out, there was like 100% coverage for PT services. The deductibles are like $20, $35 or whatever. And there's people that still didn't want to do $35 mm-hmm. deductible. And then that transition changed like, and guess what? 2,500 deductible is where we're starting at. And if you're in network, that means jack. But the whole education and what the a system that we've grounded ourselves into is that insurance covers it insurance coverage it. So, you know, that, that healthcare, the sick care model, like I tell you, is what we're focused on in the, in the United States and not in actually preventing things and helping people be healthier, but we'll pay for dialysis, uh, hospital stays, um, all these extra things instead of gym memberships, <laughs> you know, health coaching, dietitian, nutrition, all the stuff that keeps you out and paying, paying out. Doulas, yeah. <laughs> no, because now they're wanting to pay for doula services, but they're like, yeah, you know, we'll pay, we'll pay five hundred dollars for a doula. You want people to be seen for visits before, you know, when they're pregnant. You want them to be seen for visits after, and then you want me to spend upwards of twenty-four hours. Some for some people more, for some people less, in a hospital for five hundred dollars. I'm like, that's like seven bucks an hour. Yeah. So you're basically sugarcoating minimum wage in a really nice way. No, we're not going to do that. And I think it's ridiculous that, you know, I think I think that there's a a reason why, you know, when you look at insurance stuff, the way that it's worded, like we're taught, you know, if we're going to word things, it should be worded at at a third grade level because that's the average, you know, level of education, understanding of, of the average person in the country. Yet and still, most people cannot tell you what their insurance contract says. They don't know anything. It makes no sense to most people. Even I know, you know, educated professionals that can't they can't tell you what their insurance says. And it's it's so crazy. So, yeah, get rid of the insurance companies. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I like that. Well, I mean, it's just now a law has just been passed that you have to be transparent 
with additional fees. Like if you knew what your insurance benefits are, unless it it was so hard to interpret that. Now we have to have a separate law that says you have to be straightforward people and tell them when you have 15 people in the room and five of the people are not in your network. They join the party for the surgery. So you'll get a bill from the hospital, the private clinic and the out of network provider by the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So it's crazy. You even have to make now a stipulation in the law to tell people that you have to be upfront about what you're being charged. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. What's going well, on? I think the insurance companies have done that too, because, you know, there's been more of a push for direct um, practice, direct healthcare, even with physicians, right? Like yeah. the, the direct healthcare um, clinics and so on. And those are all cash based or membership based. And insurance companies are seeing the writing on the wall. So I really do think that the whole good faith estimate thing was just a way for them to be like, oh, well, let me see if I can do a last ditch effort and hold on to some patients. Because now if they go put this in writing, you know, and people people always react to the big number. Yeah. Oh, my God, that's how much it's going to cost me. Well, you pay like three times that with the insurance company. You just don't realize it. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, maybe the people will see. Maybe. Yeah. So how do you feel in in the line of work that you do, you know, insurance is policy, there's politics behind that. What, what do you feel like your practice and, and all that you're doing can help? My, my goal is, and has always been, I want to see, I tell my patients all the time. I love y'all. I really do. I hope that, you know, well, after your care, we can be great friends, maybe go out for coffee, whatever. I don't want to see you for a long time though. Come visit me. Come say, Hey, don't come be in my office for a long time. Like we, this should not be lifelong. I'm not seeing you three times a week for nothing. I don't really want to see you twice a week for nothing, unless you just had surgery. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and if I can see you for the least amount of visits as possible, that's what I want to do. Because at the end of the day, my job is not to fix you. My job is to empower you. My job is to help you on this journey and be, you know, a part of your toolbox, you know. Um, and I and I think I think that's a different way of phrasing, like you said, like well care, right? And healthcare. That's a different way. I, you know, I'm out of network for my practice, right? I, I want nothing to do with the insurance companies. I, I don't miss the years of fighting with non-clinical people on the phone telling me how to treat my patients when I'm the one that evaluated them and knows what's going on. And you can't even pronounce half the words in the, the, the evaluation. But, you know, like I try to... I, my thing is, I don't, I don't want people to, to be dependent. And I think for a lot of people, you know, like, oh my God, this is wrong me. I got to go to the doctor. Okay. Let's calm down. What's happening. Right. Like, let's take a step back. Let's see what's going on. Let's empower you so that yes, let's work together now. But the next time this happens, if this should come up again in the future, heck, you might be at dinner with your sister. You know, now you may know, oh, you know what? Hey, try this. Now you become an, you know, you have the ability to empower somebody else as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it goes, it comes full circle. So, I mean, I feel like that's what my role is, is, you know, just to kind of really push holistic care, wellness, that kind of stuff in a way that better empowers people and helps them to take ownership of their life, their health, you know, their circumstance, as opposed to just, well, you need to see me twice a week, three times a week for X number of weeks. Yeah. Like you know, I, I, I'm not about that life. Yeah. I, well, we're in a burnt out medical system too. And, um, Dr. Letitia and I talk about being that CEO of your health and advocating and finding the best fit for you. Um, I do want to go on, you know, to talk a little bit more about doula. Um, there's birth doulas and postpartum doulas. Remember Dr. Martin is also a pelvic physical therapist. Um, 
Tell me when you started doing the, the doula work and can you define what a doula is as well? So a doula is usually a lay person doesn't have to be, but it's a support person. And there's like several different types of doulas, um, bereavement, death, you know, um, fertility, all, all sorts of things, but it's, it's a support person. Um, and their goal, you know, most people are familiar with them in the, um, the prenatal sense, the birth sense of the word. Um, and their goal is to educate, to, to provide physical support, comfort, you know, advocate for this person if need be, um, but really just to be a total support for whomever the person that's pregnant and their partner, family, whatever have you, what, you know, however that family situation is set up. And I got into this because I had pregnant patients who were like, Hey, can you be at my birth? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, I've seen them during pregnancy and they're like, Hey, so can you support me? And, um, and I'm like, sure. And I, you know, and I started supporting them. And then I was like, well, you know, I know there are people out there doing this work. Let me go see what it is they're doing. I took some trainings. I, you know, I d- did training from Dona national black doulas association, um, and to, to kind of see what the trainings were about. And, and I'm glad that I did because there's a lot more that I learned with respect, not from a clinical sense per se, but there's a lot more that I learn and can respect from the, the advocacy stance, mm-hmm. especially being a black woman and then having my own birthing experience, um, which kind of all brought it together. Um, and so I think it's really important work. You know, we in healthcare, especially as pelvic health therapists, you know, we're all about really helping, you know, people to, to see health in a holistic way, like I mentioned earlier, and birth should be seen that way. And I feel like we've medicalized it way too much. I feel like a lot of what we see as pelvic therapists after the fact. So now we're seeing a whole bunch of stuff that probably shouldn't have ever happened. And a lot of the research shows that a lot of the, the issues, the, the, the um, issues that come up as maternal morbidities are preventable. And so that's some of the stuff that we're seeing on our end. Right. And I was like, okay, so how can I circumvent some of this stuff on the back end? You know, it's not like I'm trying to cheat myself out of patients, but realistically it's like, but what can I do so that all these women aren't, you know what I mean? They're not suffering at the back end. Like, what can we do? And a lot of it has to do with that prenatal process, educate them, advocating for them and the birth. A lot goes awry in birth. There's a lot of fear mongering. It's a vulnerable time for a lot of women, depending on the provider that you get, you may or may not have a compassionate provider. You may just have somebody, you know, there's a joke in, in, you know, doula circles around the holidays. You likely going to get an induction. Just pray your baby's not due around the holiday, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. Cause you know, you might be due December 31st and you might hear, well, we have to induce you. Well, why? the week before or two weeks before Christmas, something like that. And it's crazy, but things like that happen, you know, oh, you got a Thanksgiving baby. Well, that week before Thanksgiving, that Friday, we, we inducing. Well, <laughs> mm-hmm. <But> why, <laughs> why? And cause that doctor has got vacation. That doctor has got somewhere to be. And it's unfortunate, but it happens and it happens too often. And as a consequence, women are getting hurt. Black women are disproportionately being affected by it more so than anybody else. Um, You know, when I started my business, one of the things that I wanted to get into was mission work. 
And over the last several years that I had my business, because I was like, yeah, I want to go overseas. I want to do mission work and stuff like that. And I'm kind of grounded now with an 11 week old. But it's, you know, the more that I, I sit with the thought and the more that I have, you know, meditated on it, prayed on it, it's like your mission work is right here. Mm-hmm. You're already here and there's stuff to be done. Yes. And I feel like that was my message all of 2020. There is stuff to be done. There are people to be helped. Go help them. <laughs> We'll yeah. get to the travel travel mission part later, but go help the people that need to help where you at right now. Um, and so, you know, I, I feel like it is a worthy cause and big shout out and lots of respect to all the doulas out there doing this work because it needs to be done. It birth needs an overhaul like yesterday. And, and, you know, even going into postpartum doula work where we're now supporting the mom, because everybody is like birth, birth, pregnancy, 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 birth. Stop. We stopped the conversation. Yeah. We don't talk about the next three months, which for some people can be the three hardest months of their life, mm-hmm. you know, and physically, emotionally, mentally, we don't talk about it. We don't prepare them for the postpartum period. We don't prepare mothers for the expectations, you know, the, the physical expectations, the emotional, the psychological expectations. So there is still a lot of work to be done. And so I'm just, I'm just grateful to be in this space and be able to, you know, if I can make some sort of impact, then that's, that's what I want to do. Yeah. Well, one day, you know, I'm going to take that course. I will. I thought you were going to tell me one day you're going to get pregnant again. So I can, no, 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 no. And if that happens, he's like, you'll be my doula. How about that? Jenny, you gotta come on down here. I'm trying this home birth this time around because you know I had those twins and they moved practices to one of the physicians, Dr. Boots Taylor, here in Atlanta. But uh, he was the only one willing to not give me a cesarean with twins. Um, otherwise, they said, "Yep, we're gonna induce you." And um, I said, "No, we're not." And found the people up in Atlanta, and my doula was also in Atlanta. So there are not enough doulas. So as a public PT, I'm postpartum doula work too, that support, like you're just mentioning, um, there's just not enough. So if anyone's listening, go be a doula. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're like support. You're like, what support after, after the baby, it's like be on the struggle bus, no sleep, about ready to pass out, give up. And there's no resources out there as well, especially if you don't have any family that's near or like a mom or somebody that could come and stay with you, even if they stay a few days or a week or something, yeah. it's some type of support, but really it's just on your own. Yeah. <clears throat> and I know it's a lot of time it is on your own. Just, well, suck it up. That's just the way that it's supposed to be. Or my mom told me that's how it was with her. And that's how, you know, that's what I'm doomed uh, to be as well. And don't even realize there's even a resource out there. Like a after that, the no maternity leave, right? Cause you know, we're the only industrialized country that decides, yeah, you push out a baby, go to work tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow. I tell you. And it's like, really though? Cause I'm still like, there was a, there was a post going around on social media last year. And it's like, you, you give birth, you're going to bleed up to six weeks for many people they're not even covered for that length of time. So you're going back to work and you've not even done stop postpartum bleeding yet. And you're going back to work, you know, or they go to the doctor and the doctor is like, okay, what birth control do you want? Okay, good. You're good to go. But they, they can hardly lift anything. They walk and they hurt, you know, they're constantly in pain. They're, they're having, you know, crazy thoughts. They're emotional, psychologically impacted. And, and yet go to work by all means. You are be productive. 
Yeah, that's what it is. I had to go back to work in six weeks. I end up getting pregnant literally just under a year, like 11 months is when I was due from having any FMLA. So I used up all of my vacation, all of my whatever time to squeeze in for me to be at home for six weeks during that time period, you know, almost 13 years ago. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And I was trying to pump. I was trying to stay motivated. I was trying to make it six months of breastfeeding. I'm over here pumping at work back in the break room. Trying to rush and Somebody's do it. office, because yeah, you know where to pump. You like try to put I a did. piece of paper on the door, like don't come in. Yeah, <laughs> did it in the closet, standing once. <laughs> yeah, doing what you had to do, but yeah, that was just like survival mode. You just had to, get, you know, you just had to get it done. Yeah, Mm-mm. that's amazing. So, we yes. can go through. Yeah, exactly, and we continue to go through it as well. So. So Asley, obviously, as yourself going through, we hate to even say the word geriatric pregnancy. <laughs> I hate that that's like after 35, you just become. I'm an old, riddled, old man. Apparently. Yes, you just, oh, yes, you just become old. And probably in some of the clients and the ages that you're dealing with, what do you think is kind of some common myths or misconceptions about women over the age of 35? I really wish that they would start looking at people individually. I really do. Because I mean, I know a lot of people that would run circles around most 20 year olds. I have a girlfriend of mine, really dear friend. And she just, our, our daughters are four months apart now, but she had a daughter two years ago when she was 40. And we crossed, we used to train in CrossFit together and she was kicking my tail <laughs> doing handstand pushups yeah, at six months. People. I mean, you could still see the imprint of her abs and she was 40. Mm. I mean, and she was fit as a fit, healthy, you know, like, and that's the thing. Like, that is not what people think of a 40 year old woman. Like we're supposed to be decrepit with like a walker and like a wheelchair. (laughs) And I'm like, come on, y'all. Like 40 is like the new 20. So Mm -hmm. I really do wish that, that for one, the healthcare system can look at people as individuals. Um, I had a home birth and I know, I think that's the first time I've said that publicly, <laughs> but I had a home birth with my daughter and, you know, for one, as a healthcare professional, most people are probably like, Oh my God, you did what you're a healthcare professional. You should know better. Blah, blah, rah, rah, rah. It was my best birth at 39 in my home with my family, with my kids. It was peaceful. It was beautiful. I slept in my bed. I mean, I I cannot find, I'm trying not to cry y'all. I cannot find more beautiful words to put towards that experience. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when it comes to birth, that what we should be advocating for people to do is know and understand their bodies, right? Because you got some 40 year olds that are having their first kid. You got, you got some people who they've never gone through this experience before. So they truly don't know. They don't know what to expect. You know, they just don't know. And I feel like we should be advocating for people, regardless of age, to understand their bodies, to, to work on being healthy mentally, being healthy physically during their pregnancy. Gone are the days where somebody is pregnant and you go say, go sit in the corner, put your feet up. No, let's get out. Let's get active. Let's get moving. Let's strengthen. Let's get some fresh air. Let's reduce your stress. Let's make sure that your environment and the people around you are set up to support you. And if they not just, they need to go, 
right? Let's let's help people to impact. And I mean, granted, this should be happening before they get pregnant, but still. Yeah. And then afterwards, nurturing these people. Like you mentioned, Letitia, you know, here in Atlanta, we're a city of transplants. Nobody here is from here, like nobody. <laughs> so, you, you know, you've got all these people here, but they have no family. You know, if they're lucky, if they have had the ability to build a community, right? And, and to acquire some resources in the time that they're here. But what if they haven't? because of work, because of, you know, whatever. And now that they're having this amazing, beautiful child, they got nothing on the back end. So now they're having a baby and they trying to have to figure life out by themselves. And I really think that those are the things we need to focus on. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I could be on a soapbox with birth for a long oh, time. Yeah. I'm going to stop right now. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Getting you fired up, which is what we do on this podcast in general. Um, so this leading into one of the important questions, which, you know, our podcast is the feel better naked podcast, and it can mean many different things to different people. Again, this podcast is about real women, real talk and taking the shame out of all of it. But tell me, um, what do you feel like your personal journey is to feeling better naked? What does that mean to, to you? Ooh, um, I think it's I think it's walking in vulnerability and and openness. Um, and I say that because I've I've had lots of time to meditate in my sleepless nights these past few weeks. <laughs> um, and now I've got two girls, and I want them. I want that the way that I walk that that's they can take the good from that. They can see all of it, but I want them to take the best parts of that and be able to use that in their own walk. I want for me to, to be able to walk openly, to be able to share with them, to be able to nurture them, to be able to groom them. I want that, that just, you know, when you think about being naked, you think about bearing it all. Right. And I want to be able to do that for my girls so that they can understand not only me, but that I can give them a glimpse into my understanding of life you know, my understanding of my environment and, and the world around them so that then they can take that on their walk. Cause it stopped being about me eight years ago. <laughs> it really did. And, and so I, you know, and, and it was more, it's more glaringly apparent to me now, you know, my mornings are spent like, I, like, you know, I was joking um, with you before we started getting a shower before noon is a huge achievement, but my mornings are spent usually with, with my daughter on my chest and me playing with her fingers or playing with her hair and recognizing that in 18 years, I'm not going to have this no more. You're going to be an adult for a lot longer than you're going to be my baby girl. I mean, you'll always be my baby girl, but for as long as you think of yourself as my baby girl and you're going to be running by next year, this same time. So you, you're not going to want to sit so long enough to, you know, lay with mommy and all this type of stuff and taking these moments in and just, you know, feeling all the feels that's, that's my looking, my being naked. <laughs> yeah, I really no. love love that vulnerability point because your your children need to see that and they they you are vulnerable with your kids <laughs> they force you to to be that way so i really loved that that take um dr letitia i don't know if we're going to go to the fun questions or any last oh yes thoughts let's first. go let's go in to some fun questions here you know <clears throat> dig and dig and peel back a few layers you know, but not too, no, we're not, not, not too deep. So, you know, no. we might have some mamas and 
and Daddy listen to this. <laughs> we won't we won't do any embarrassing. Yeah, we we will keep it keep it low key. Okay, so this is random. Don't don't worry about it. So if you are in a bathroom at a gas station, do you sit down on the toilet or do you use the squat method? Hell no, I squat. I don't care that I'm a pelvic <laughs> PT. You can't tell me nothing. Look, people have tried to debate that you, you know, I get the mechanics. Lord knows I do. But here's the way I look at it. I'm not squatting and hovering over toilets that often. So if I do it once in a blue moon, it's okay. <laughs> Have you seen some of those gas station bathrooms though? Okay, no way in hell. (laughs) Yes, Ebola. You feel like Ebola's on them seats or something. Look, you can feel it. You you might be squatting. You feel sometimes like stuff is going to crawl up off the seat and bite you or jump up off the seat and bite you. Mm -mm. (laughs) Crabs. Right, Linda? We did an episode on that. Um, uh, That's funny. Okay, so here's another random but toilet related question. Do you put your toilet paper under or over? Over. I like to pull it down. That's it. The whole house. Okay. <laughs> now, does Husband that affect has- you? Does that affect you if you find one that's under? Before it used to. But you know what? Having children will change you. I got, I now, I understood the whole concept of pick your battles after I had children. Also, my, my, my kids have just recently learned how to like finally, you know, fiddle with the toilet holder to like put the thing in the wall when they have to like replenish the toilet paper. So I'm just like, at least the toilet paper is there. Cause there have yes. been many times when the, the kids have used the toilet paper and you go in the bathroom, it's like, where the hell is the toilet paper at? Yeah. <laughs> just, you just, this wait for that preteen 13 year old you walk in, they'll just bypass their bathroom because there's no toilet paper or paper towel and go downstairs. No, they got chores Friday evenings. Y'all, y'all need to restock. Mm-hmm. And you get in Friday. there and there's nothing. Friday's restock day. Restock I, I will day. send somebody outside. Don't come up in my bathroom trying to take my stuff. I will send you outside in the bushes. Don't play me. <laughs> in the bushes. So this question goes down to, are you a creature of habit or like very particular? So do you have like the same parking spot at the grocery store or same area? Like you have to park XYZ. I the same one at the grocery store, but so like my, my volleyball team used to always ask me, coach Jay, why do you always reverse in? And I was like, because if we need to leave y'all, we are getting in this vehicle and we are out. Okay. I don't like parking facing in. I park the same place. When somebody takes my parking spot, I usually get upset, but I always go and I, I reverse in. I'm that person that has to sit facing a door. I don't like sitting backing doors. I feel like I watch too many crime, crime shows. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I am too. I, I told them, I was like, you know, I'm essentially like either a paralegal or a junior crime scene investigator based on the knowledge of the shows that <laughs> I feel like it like that or like a, a spy undercover spy. I'm like, mm, that that looks suspicious I'm not doing that <laughs> that's hilarious this is going along the same lines of creature habit so when you're cooking do you have a favorite burner on the stovetop yes front left yeah see see I told you everybody's got that same go to one. You don't even realize. Yeah, I don't turn think on, turn I on that one. My back left burner, unless it's the holiday. 
<laughs> and it's full. You have to. You have to use it because you got so many. <laughs> so many I don't think I use it unless it's a holiday. I mean, stuff just sits there if it happens to be sitting there, but it doesn't get used. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, that we want to really thank you so much for coming on and joining us. Um, we learned a lot. I love listening to you talk and learning from you. Um, first thing, is there any last, last bit of advice you'd want to give to a woman that's feeling stuck on their journey of, you know, becoming their true self or feeling better naked? Is there any piece of advice you could give them? And where do people find you? Pardon me? And where do people find you? Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, So I will say, first first of all, all, um, know your value. Um, I think that's the biggest thing to be in an entrepreneur is really understanding your value um, and, and not your value as a business person, all that, but your value, right? Like who you are, uh, what you, what, what you bring to the table, because then through that, you can understand your value as you, the business person and so on, but really understanding your value. Don't be afraid to go for stuff. What's the worst that can happen? You fail. Okay. <laughs> just fail. Um, and you know, just, just go for whatever it is. Like at least give it a shot, give it, give it all you got, give it a shot. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Go do something else. Um, don't, don't be afraid. Um, and I think those two things have helped me a lot, especially as I've gotten older. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of where to find me, you guys can find me um, on Instagram at the pelvic perspective or um, website www.jmm, M as in Mary, M as in Mary, healthsolutions.com. Um, on YouTube, I need to go out there and update some videos, but YouTube um, slash JMM Health Solutions um, and Facebook JMM Health Solutions. Great. Great. You'll, you'll find, find all those links, links in our show, show notes. notes. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much for joining us. Thank you. Loved it. Good, Good luck, luck on your journey with your third little one. I might be calling you. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, thank you for joining us today on our Real Conversations and Journey to Feeling Better Naked. I know there are a million other things you could be doing. Sending you all the love. Check out the show notes to grab any tidbits or tools that were discussed on the episode today and be sure to subscribe. You don't want to miss next week's episode. Remember, you are enough.